The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And hello, everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It's Wednesday, July 6, 2022, and I'm your host here. We're broadcasting live in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and then we're going to rebroadcast again tomorrow, Thursday, in Detroit at 7 a.m., and then in Chicago, we'll rebroadcast the program on uh, 1080 a.m. WNWI radio. Today, we're going to focus on Eid al-Adha and the Muslim American community. Uh, the Eid is the uh, Al-Adha is the festival of sacrifice, one of the most important religious holidays in Islam as it marks the end of the Hajj. The holiday honors Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Ismail and calls for a karbani or animal sacrifice. And then distributing the meat in thirds to your family, to your neighbors, and especially to the poor. It begins uh, July 8th and 9th. Um, we have uh, three people that are going to join us, each one offering a little different perspective on Muslims in America, um, the Eid itself, how it's celebrated in Saudi Arabia, um, and also uh, the aspect of charitable giving. But I'm really uh, honored to uh, introduce our first guest, uh, Bashir Mohammed. He is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center. Uh, a nonpartisan fact tank that informs the public about issues, attitudes, and trends shaping the world. They conduct public opinion polling, demographic research, and a lot of stuff. He's published in many academic publications, um, in like uh, the Oxford University Press and New York University Press, so many different things. We'll have his bio online. Um, Bashir, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and you did a piece that I was uh, reading, which brought me to your attention. It was a while ago. I mean, it was last year, but it talked about how Muslims were a growing presence in the U.S., but they still face negative views from the public. Um, how, how? Tell us a little bit about what you learned about the Muslim community uh, here in the United States. Who are they? How are they treated? What's important to them? Give us a little insight into who they are. Sure, sure. So, um I think that the sort of best place to start is just the size of the Muslim American community. Um, so our estimates suggest that there are about 4 million Muslims in the United States, uh, and it's a rapidly growing community. Uh, if you go back just you know 10 years ago to like our estimates um, and other places' estimates, uh, we say, so for example, in 2010, we suggested there might be maybe two and a half million Muslims. And so, you know, we were up to, to somewhere in the four, 4 million range. Um, uh, studies of the number of mosques, uh, you may be familiar, for example, that uh, Professor Hassan Bagby uh, does a mosque study every 10 years, has similarly shown uh, this sort of rapid growth, in the, the number of Muslims, the number of mosques. Um, and we also see 
you know, more representation in Congress, right? Um, there, there are three members in Congress now, which um, is more than we've ever had um, in terms of Muslim representation. Um, that growing representation is happening in a context where the public still doesn't know a huge amount about Islam or a huge amount about Muslims um, and where Muslims are facing uh, significant uh, discrimination. And do the, and in your studies, and I know you've done a lot of research into this and looking at stuff, the Pew uh, Center is a phenomenal place, too, to get information. So that's why we're so excited to have you on the program. It's always get, good to get a good source. Unfortunately, we can't get a good source like from the U.S. Census. We have to guess, right? I mean, the numbers that even in your study, I think they were talking about maybe 2.5 million. It may grow to 3.4 million. Those are kind of cursory numbers, correct? I mean, do we so, really know how many Muslims there are in the United States? So you're correct in saying that the Census Bureau does not ask questions about uh, religious affiliation. Uh, they, just as a matter of policy, uh, do not ask religion on, on that census. Uh, they ask race and country of origin, all those, all those fun things, but not religion. Um, what we do in order to understand, we've, we've tried to estimate the size of the Muslim population a few different ways. Um, and we have some confidence in our numbers because all the different ways that we estimate, we wind up in basically the same ballpark. Um, so I, I would not be comfortable telling you whether it's, you know, 4,221,623 Muslims. Right. Um, but I feel like that 4 million number is pretty, is, is, is pretty solid. Um, so we, like I said, we look at it a couple of different ways. One thing we do is we look at uh, just our surveys and we see, you know, what share of the, the people that we survey are Muslim. And then we can say, well, if it's this share of the survey, what share of the public would it be if we know the size of the population? Um, another thing we do is we look at um, countries of origin uh, and we look at, uh, you know, again, from our surveys from various countries of origin, how, what share do we think uh, are Muslim and then sort of calculate it that way. And then the last thing, you know, we can do or that people can do is, is look at the studies that have looked at how many mosques there are and say, OK, well, if there are this many mosques, well, how many people are in each mosque? Where does that get you? Um, and all of those numbers really land you in a similar ballpark. Um, so, you know, again, I, I don't think I could, I could put a number in and we could put a number exactly, you know, to the person or even to the to 10,000. Um, but but in that ballpark of millions, I think we're probably we're, we're pretty comfortable. And of course, you're Muslim. So happy Eid, yes. by the way. Uh, Thank you. Early Eid, Eid Mubarak, um, to Eid. you and your family and everybody. As a Muslim, how do you feel about, you know, I mean, are you, do you feel like, do Muslims generally and do you feel that you're accepted in, you know, our society? So, yeah. Now, um, I was going to say, is it a challenge all the time? And I, people think I'm Muslim all the time. And I get, uh, and I'm, yeah, I always tell everybody I'm Christian by, you know, faith, but Muslim by culture. And I don't mind being mistaken for a Muslim um, because the Muslims I know are very peaceful. They're supportive. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking with uh, 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 Atwa, um, I'm sorry, Atya uh, Azmi, who, uh, Kazmi, Atya Kazmi, I apologize, with the Islamic Circle of North America about the importance of charitable work. They do so much to help other people. And yet the focus is always like, you're different, you're strange, so I should be wary of you. And, and I, I think, think that applies to everybody, right? Yeah, it's, and I think, I think there definitely is, is some truth to that, that a lot of people, um, you know, one of the things we see in our data on Muslims and that, that 
you know, like you said, applies to everyone, uh, is that people who say that they personally know a member of a group tend to have more positive views. So people who say that they personally know someone who's Muslim tend to have more positive views toward Muslims, tend to have more positive views toward Islam. Um, but, you know, one of the factors, and this may be uh, a surprise to some of your listeners, just sort of given where you're broadcasting, is about half of the American public says they don't personally know a Muslim. Um, so there are lots of folks who say, I don't know anybody who's Muslim except the people I see on TV. Um, and, um, and, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, they don't know very much about Islam. Only about uh, one in 10 Americans say that they think they know a lot about the original religion of Islam. Um, and even, you know, what people may think of as, as relatively straightforward questions. For example, you mentioned um, the Eid and the Hajj. Um, only about six in 10 Americans can correctly identify in a multiple choice survey um, where that, that the Hajj uh, is, is to Mecca and not to Medina and not to Jerusalem. And um, so, so um, you know, four, four in 10 Americans are just like, I don't know. I don't know. They just, you know, yeah. they, they just embrace stereotypes. Listen, when I was young, I lived in a white neighborhood on the southeast side of Chicago. One night, the uh, realtor came by and said the African-American. They didn't actually say African-Americans. They, they said blacks. Blacks are moving into the community. You better sell your home. I didn't, we didn't know any African-Americans or blacks. We moved out. We went to another white suburban area, and the school there said, you're black. You can't come here. <laughs> and I go, I am black? Am I? I didn't know that. Well, it's a relative thing. I was darker than everybody else at the school. They kicked me out. I ended up going to a Catholic school until we moved again to an area where they accepted me. And it taught me that, you know, these uh, racism is about what you understand about people and what you don't understand about people. And I understand that Americans are, we're overwhelmed with things that we are responsible for. Do you think Muslims and Arabs and maybe more so let's talk about Muslims, do they do enough to explain who they are or is it such an uphill war and battle to fight the perception that it, it's difficult to make any progress in that direction? Well, we definitely see that, um, that engaging um, seems to have an impact, that people who say that they know someone who's Muslim um, have, have that more positive view. Um, but you know, one of the, the sort of practical factors that happens is that uh, Muslims uh, tend to be congregated in, 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 in certain areas, certain parts of the country, certain cities, uh, certain states. Um, and so there are cities and states where there may not, well, not states, but there are cities uh, and counties where there may not be any Muslims at all. Um, or maybe, you know, there's one Muslim family that moves into the county or something like that. Um, and so that's just a very different uh, situation than, than, you know, I grew up in New York. I lived in Chicago. I live in the D.C. area now. I've always lived in places where there were significant Muslim populations, but but I realize um, from my data that there are lots of places where that's just not the case. Do you think it's different for uh, Muslims than it is for, you know, another ethnic group where maybe I live in an area and I've never met a Native American? I mean, I have, but I mean, there are some places that never met a Native American and they wonder what are they? You know, they see the stereotype on TV, you know, cowboys and Indians. Um, and, and oftentimes it's very negative. Are, are we any di are Muslims any different? Um, than you I mean, think these other ethnic groups in terms of what they go through. And, you know, we're talking about a religion and an ethnic group, but I'm really kind of focused, meaning the identity of mm -hmm. a person. Yeah, I mean, I think that there, 
there, there, there are some differences. I mean, if, if you ask the American public, um, we've asked them like a lot, a series of, you know, how much do you think different groups face discrimination? Um, and, uh, the public is much more likely to say that, um, they think Muslims face discrimination than any other religious group. So about eight in 10 Americans say that they think uh, Muslims face discrimination. Uh, that's higher than the share that say that they think Jews face discrimination, about seven in 10 say that, uh, and fewer than half say they think ev evangelical Christians face uh, discrimination. So, um, so when the public, as much as they say they don't know a lot about Islam or about Muslims, they uh, many of them think that Muslims do face discrimination and, and more discrimination than many other religious groups. Yeah, and I uh, have always thought that uh, one of the things that we need to do as Arabs, Christians and Muslims, because believe me, nobody looks at a Christian Arab and says you're a Christian. You know, we're Muslim. I mean, no matter what we try to do, I could be wearing a cross around my neck and they'd ask me where I got that from rather than <laughs> saying, oh, you're a Christian. So, you know, what... what uh, I, I've noticed that government, though, over the last maybe since Bill Clinton, maybe a little before that when Jimmy Carter was there, but there there tends to be uh, a movement toward recognizing uh, Muslims and recognizing the holidays like this one coming up, the Eid al-Adha. And just for listeners, we're going to talk with uh, Rawan Redwan, who's a deputy sections editor at Arab News, about what is Eid al-Adha so they understand that. But when you hear a president talk about Happy Eid or Eid Mubarak um, or Salam Alaikum, or even you hear uh, uh, somebody say uh, Inshallah, you know, it does open the door to understanding, doesn't it, when they when they do that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that, that we definitely see that, uh, that many Muslims really appreciate those sorts of uh, act, sort of active outreach. Um, and we've asked Muslims over over the years whether they thought that um, various uh, administrations and various um, uh, political parties, the, the two political parties, um, are friendly toward Muslims or not. Um, and and we definitely see that, that there are some real differences um, in in how Muslims view the political parties and in how Muslims view um, uh, uh, what's political. Um, politicians sorry yeah and so and there has been an acceptance though hasn't there but not enough or do you feel enough do you feel you're accepted in this country as a muslim i mean i, th I think that um you know one of the things that that we've seen is that views toward islam and muslims have have become uh increasingly polarized uh over the years uh, along uh political lines so for example um when we when we first we, we've been asking the question we've probably been asking the longest uh, is something you alluded to, which is about um, whether Islam is a violent religion. Does Islam encourage violence more than other um, religions? And we've been asking this all the way, you know, 20 years, going back all the way to 2002, just a few months after the, the attacks of uh, September 11th. Um, at that point, there was a there was a pretty small gap between Democrats and Republicans, uh, maybe nine points, eight points, 10 points. So. Um, relatively small gap between Democrats and Republicans on that view. Um, it's now the case that there's a 40 point gap uh, wow. where Republicans are 40 points more likely than Democrats to say that they think Islam encourages violence more than other religions. Um, Wait, so Democrats, you said 40 percent. Republicans are more likely. Republicans are more um, likely. If, if I said Democrats, right. I apologize. No, no, that's yeah. OK. That, in um, other words, it's this conservative view. Yeah. More or less, the more conservative 
conservative you are, they may have embraced that idea and the more liberal, liberal yeah. you are, they may uh, ease that view. So yeah, among Republicans and, and people who lean toward the Republican Party, about 72% say that they think that Islam is more likely than other religions to encourage violence. Among Democrats and Democrat leaners, it's 32%. So there's a big gap on that, on that view. I like to tell my Muslim friends, don't worry, give us 500 years. Uh, we forgot about the Inquisition and all the you know, violence of the Christian world. So at some point, we're going to forget about what we think is violence of the Muslim world. Um, and so this holiday, how do you, as an American uh, Muslim, uh, how do you celebrate the Eid yourself? I mean, what, what does it mean to you? Do you are you religious? And I, I don't mean to inquire about that, but we have a lot of listeners that are non-Arab, uh, non-Muslim. Uh, how do they view that? I mean, and how do you uh, I mean, I, celebrate the Eid? So, I mean, I think I, I think I could I could, you know, be probably even more helpful than than my own experience. I think I could speak sort of more generally. Uh, one of the things that we see is that um, engagement with um, with with the Eid holiday, um, this Eid holiday, and also the the other Eid holiday that that happens at, after Ramadan, um, both of those things is actually quite high. Um, even among Muslims who say that they don't attend religious services very often, who say that they don't pray uh, uh, five times a day as, as is sort of, um, sort of normatively prescribed, uh, you see large numbers saying that um, they do uh, attend religious services um, around, around the, the Eids a couple times a year, um, that they think that the, the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca is very important, that they hope to do that at some point. Um, uh, so, so I think that's some that's some of what we see. I mean, this past year, um, for the first time, I, I, I'm fairly certain for the first time, um, uh, Saudi Arabia uh, set up a quota system for how many Muslims could come from the United States and from Western countries to go to the to the. Um, to, you think to that was because was that because of COVID? You think or you um, know, well, the... I well, well, what happened? Because of COVID, I know that they, they they decreased the number of people that they would allow to go, right. um, and you know the previous two years they didn't have anyone go. Um, uh, nobody who wasn't you know in Saudi Arabia was allowed to travel there. Um, this year they allowed they opened it up more broadly. Um, they allowed uh, pilgrims from other countries to come, um, but the quotas were much lower overall, and they imposed quotas on um, the sort of uh, Muslim minorities in, in places like the U.S., which in the past they just haven't felt the need to do. Um, they also had a number of uh, additional requirements about vaccination and um, age and these sorts of things. So I think they, they made a lot of changes because of COVID. Um, but I just say all that to say that there was a substantial demand in the United States for going to the to perform in the Hodge, to go on the pilgrimage. And as a community grows, is it, one of the things you talked about in your story at the Pew uh, 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 online uh, center was that uh, um, the the growth was mainly through immigration. It looked like as opposed to uh, natural, you know, demographic growth. So families are the immigration was expanding. Maybe I don't know whether it's faster, but that was a major part of the growth of Muslims in America. Yeah, yeah, uh, immigration definitely plays an important part. Um, in, in, in the, the growth of, of uh, the Muslim American community. Um, I think immigrants uh, still make up the majority of Muslim Americans. It's uh, 52, 56, 58% um, 
of, of uh, Muslim adults are immigrants to the United States, were born in, in another country. Um, although there's no one country that makes up a majority, um, there's, there's significant numbers from, from the Middle East, from, from South Asia, um, from a variety of countries. But, uh, but yeah, immigrants still make up a significant share uh, and, and that, you know, that the, the number of immigrants certainly has an impact on the, the overall population. Is there a pressure, you think, on the Muslim community to be like the Christians? So we everybody celebrates Christmas and whether you celebrate it or not, you're given the time off. It's considered a national holiday, basically. Um, and we're slowly recognizing other holidays, too. But Christmas has kind of been, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to secular or secularized uh, to become more about giving gifts and presents and things. And it's more of a party time. Um, is the, you think the Eid is headed in that direction, the Eids that we have in the Muslim community by virtue of the pressure they're living in a society that does that with so many other religions? Uh, honestly, it's, it's hard for me to say. Um, uh, I, I don't know that there's really good data on, on that particular question. I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right in that there is data sort of supporting this, um, that, that for many Americans, um, Christmas is is a secular holiday and not a religious holiday. Um, you know, some years ago, even at Pew, we asked some questions about, do you consider it a cultural holiday? Do you consider it a religious holiday? And many Americans do do think of Christmas as more of a cultural or secular holiday rather than a religious holiday. And so it's certainly possible that, that we'll see similar patterns or that we're seeing similar patterns for, for Muslims in need. I just I haven't seen the data one way or the other. All right. And Bashir, Mohammed, anything else you want to mention about, uh, you know, your research into uh, I, I have to say there, you know, there are a number of uh, Islamic experts on the Muslim community. But I like, you know, the secular ones, the ones that do the research like you do at Pew um, to really offer like uh, a journalistic approach to the topic. And that's why I'm so grateful for you to take the time here. There's not a lot of media in the Arab or the Muslim community, right. is it? No, no, there's not. Um, and and, um, you know, I, I think I think you made you made a point that I think is very, very important and, and is something that I I often a point that I make when I sort of introduce myself is that I'm an expert on Muslims, not an expert on Islam. I'm a Muslim. Uh, you know, I've, as, as a Muslim, I've spent some time studying Islamic theology and these sorts of things. But my expertise, my 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 scholarship is on Muslims. What do Muslims do? How, what do Muslims think? How do Muslims act? Um, rather than on sort of the theology of like, what does the Quran say and these sorts of things. That's a very different area of expertise. And as a social scientist, my focus is much more on Muslims, like, um, and sort of we can ask them, you know, what are they doing? We can observe what they're doing. Um, and then I leave it to, to theologians to debate whether that's right or wrong, or are we going in the right direction or not? Or do we need to, uh, you know, panic? You know, my job is to tell you, you know, what's happening. And then I leave it to others to, to sort of extrapolate on like what whether these are good, bad or different. All right. Bashir Mohammed uh, with the Pew Research Center, um, talking with him about Muslims. Uh, Bashir, we really appreciate it. If people want to look up some of your work, I believe it's Pew Research, P-E-W Research dot O-R-G. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they can find you there. Yeah. And if you type in uh, Pew, uh, Pew Research dot org. Uh, slash survey of Muslims, all one word. It'll get uh, sort of the, some of our our sort of deepest dives on on Muslim on the Muslim American community. Um, but yeah, if you go to pewresearch.org, you certainly can find me. I'm also on Twitter um, at 
B-M-O-H-A-M. Um, I'm happy to sort of engage there as well. Uh, but again, thanks, Ray, for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I hope and I'd love to have you on again, because obviously there aren't too many radio programs out there in the U.S. that talk about uh, Arabs and Muslims. And I know that the, the majority of uh, Arabs are Christian, but the majority of Muslims are non-Arab, correct? Isn't correct. that correct? It's a, that, it's that a is huge correct. number of non-Arabs. It's like 70 percent, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. That so shows that's how exactly widespread right. the Islamic uh, religion is around the world. Absolutely. Although, as, as you said, um, you know, you know that that most Arabs are not Muslim. I'm not sure that everybody knows that most Arabs are not No, they don't. Believe me, they don't. They, I'm, a, I'm Muslim no matter what I want to be. So exactly. I have to address the issue, and I don't mind doing it. And uh, uh, a lot of times I feel very, a pride in being identified as a Muslim because I think the majority of Muslims I've met are gracious like you, uh, peaceful. We, we're just like everybody else. Um, so I have no problem being identified that way. Bashir Muhammad, my guest from... Uh, Pew Reach Pew Reach Research Center, um, and uh, we hope to have them on again sometime. Okay, absolutely. Thanks for all having right. Me. Th- you're welcome. Thank you, Bashir. Um, we're going to take a quick break here at uh, the Rehan and Nia show. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Atya Kazmi about a charitable uh, drive that they have launched for the Eid Al-Adha uh, holiday uh, to find and collect a thousand toys for a thousand children. We'll be right back right after these messages. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. Arabnews.com, news that matters to you. Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to Life now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. Imagine you're on a train track. Somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track, and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, You may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov slash diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show. I am Ray Hanania, and we are broadcasting live in Detroit and Washington, D.C. right now. And tomorrow, uh, Thursday morning, we will rebroadcast in Detroit at 7 a.m. And uh, we will rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080 radio, which covers the whole region. Um, right now, I'm happy to introduce our next guest, uh, 
uh, Atya Kazmi. She's area manager with the Islamic Circle of North America, ICNA Relief, Chicago, uh, based in Chicago. And we're going to talk with her about the importance of charitable work and giving during the Eid holiday, especially this one where the Isna Relief has uh, organized the drive to collect and donate 1,000 toys to needy children. Atya, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you, Ray. Can you hear me? Yes, put your uh, video on if you can. For some reason, it got turned off there. There you go. Thank you, Atya. Thank you, Ray, for inviting me today. Uh, that's a phenomenal thing that you're doing to, you know, not just celebrate the Eid for Muslims, but you're doing a charitable drive. Isn't that a major part of the Eid, Al-Adha, to do that and the Islamic religion? Sure, sure. So we, Tikhna Relief, uh, it's a national organization. We have multiple offices in almost 34 states in the United States. And we offer a bunch of programs for needy families. And Eid is a time where all these families look up to us for those special gifts. So it, be it Ramadan or be it Idul Adha, we go beyond to you know make those drives happen to please not our families just by giving them food. We always provide food through food pantries. We have new clothes for the uh, you know, families, and also we want to bring those smiles on the ch children's faces because our work is heavily uh, you know among the underprivileged the new uh, settlers who are here, like refugees coming from different countries, and the bulk of them are from Muslim countries, as we all know, uh, from Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq. We have multiple ethnicities, uh, people coming to our offices and our food pantries to get these um, the much-needed help. So Ikna Relief uh, organizes drives, and our communities are generous enough to help us with whatever you know we need for the, our clients. And our, uh, you know, it's a major drive. The toy drive is a major drive where we reach out to a community and they help us to collect all those toys. And we have a bunch of awesome volunteers at our office wrapping this, those toys, marking them with genders and their age groups. And then tomorrow we are going to hold a very uh, large event at our Chicago Food Pantry and Family Services office. And, um, you know, people in Chicago, they will, they will be seeing those long lines where kids, the moms are standing with kids anticipating to receive their uh, wrapped toys. Um, not just toys, we also try to give new Eid clothing to them. We also give the food distribution. So as uh, we all know that uh, it's an obligation on Muslims to help the needy people wherever they are and to whichever you know uh, religion or ethnicity or culture they belong to. So our services are for everyone. Those who are in need, they step, uh, they step into in our offices, and we do uh, proper case management for them, providing them with uh, much needed services. I know a little later we're going to talk with uh, Rowan Redwan, who is a deputy sections head and regional correspondent at Arab News, talking about how Saudi Arabia is preparing for the Eid al-Adha, which is a very big holiday for the Muslim community. And uh, but I noticed in doing my research that. Um, when you sacrifice the lamb, and she's going to explain the whole thing about uh, how this uh, correlates to Abraham's sacrifice of, uh, uh, you know, his effort to offer his son as a sacrifice. He didn't sacrifice him, but they sacrifice the lamb. And Muslims divide are, you know, are told divide that into three parts. 
one for your family, one for your friends, and one for the needy. How big is that drive to help the needy in Islam, uh, especially during Eid al-Adha? Yes, of course, the, you know, the meat drive, the Qurbani drive, we also do that. Technology does that. And actually, every city, we have a bunch of slaughterhouses tied up with our program. So we approach those uh, slaughterhouses, have, you know, uh, lambs and cows shares from our community donated by our community uh, the meat comes to us packaged neatly packaged you know and then we uh, ask our clients to be there at the pant food pantry to receive that so the need is uh, humongous uh, ray because of the uh, prices of food going up and especially the meat here in america which has shot up so much i guess uh, all over the world people are seeing a lot of inflation going going up uh, gas prices food prices so meat is uh, one commodity, especially the lamb and goat meat, that people uh, who are new to this country, settling, you know, trying to get settled, they hardly get to uh, eat fresh meat. So this is also a very big help. And of course, um, uh, Muslims, we offer uh, qurbani and we try to donate one third of our share to these needy uh, people. And it really facilitates the whole process. So we do the pre-order with the slaughterhouses. They, they, Meat comes to us directly packaged, hygienic, and then we distribute among our clients, along with, as, as I mentioned, other food items like rice, oil, lentils. We supply all the, all of those items to our refugee families and well, anyone who is in need. What, what's so important about that is the last part they said anybody that is in need. So exactly. you do help Muslims, obviously, um, and there is a need in the Muslim community, but you don't turn other people away, correct? So we are open. Our doors are open to anyone who steps in. So there's no distinction between ethnicity, culture, religion, or any identifying factor. So we are open to everyone. Uh, although by name we are Islamic Circle of North America, that means we are a, a faith-based organization trying to fulfill our obligation, what Islam teaches us to care for our neighbors, needy neighbors. What I think is so important about Islam, too, is that idea that it's not just about the food, dividing it up. The idea that you help your family you help your friends and you help anybody the impoverished those that are in need that it's almost like they treat everybody equal the family the friends that and people they don't even know who are desperate to survive in this country that's a phenomenal thing that i don't think people really understand about islam yes sure and also ray the other thing which we are trying to do is for those people who are marginalized uh, left out uh, when they come to our offices we are in close contact with each of our clients and we also try to bring them to other special events so that they should not feel left out for example the muslim community organizes eat fest, fest you know in major cities we have eat fest going on so we try to take these families there we, we give them discounted tickets we try to promote you know uh, to offer commute to them we hire buses and take them you know to the eat fest so that they feel that they're part of the community. So this is what we are trying to achieve, uh, sort of uh, not just fulfilling their uh, immediate needs, but also making them feel that they're part and parcel of this community and they can thrive and flourish. How, how big is the need in the uh, Muslim American community? How big is that? The, with the recent influx of refugees, the need has grown exponentially. And we are always open. We are not just doing, you know, things like 
food and like toys I mentioned to you. But we also furnish, you know, give them all the household items they need because new families, they hardly have anything with them. So we try to do all brand new items given to them, you know, kitchen items and clothing and jackets. When they came in winter, we had a you know, winter drive and we hundreds of jackets and, you know, uh, shoes and hats and gloves for them. So we provide constantly. We are serving our neighbors, those who are in need. And the need is growing because of the influx of of the refugees. And uh, I know that the Islamic Circle of North America, uh, ICNA Relief, as you pointed out, is not just based in Chicago. You're in Chicago, but they serve the entire uh, uh, North America or the U.S. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Islamic Circle of North America. Yes. So as I mentioned to you, Islamic Circle of North America is a very old organization. It seeks to elevate its ikna relief. It's called ikna relief for short form. So ICNA Relief seeks to alleviate human suffering by offering them compassionate services within a holistic framework. So our offices are located in about, I would say right now, it's about 40 states. And wow. 100 cities. So How many cities? 600 plus cities. Wow. So you have representatives in all those cities organizing this relief and support drive for those I that are in need. Countries are, hunger prevention is a big program. We have more than 60 or 70 food pantries all over. Then we have Muslim family services, refugee services. We have uh, around 20 transitional homes for women and children. So where those women who are left out without any support, they come to us. We, it's a structured program we, they, where they, we keep them in our homes, in the transitional housing. And then uh, when they are ready to move out within six, to, six months to one year, they are on their own. We give them... Uh, we do proper case management. There, you know, all their needs are met. The skill building is done. You know. So a lot of times they don't even know the language. We have ESL classes for them, car driving uh, classes, till we find a job and they're able to uh, save some some money to move forward in their lives. So that's a big uh, uh, achievement, I would say, that we are the only Muslim uh, network of. Uh, we have about twenty uh, transitional homes throughout the USA. Chicago has one as well. A transitional home is? Yeah, is where uh, the women and children can be accepted into that program if they meet the criteria, if they have no support system, and they are not, um, uh, there's no active abuse, but a lot of them have gone through abuse, but, you know, they are now struggling to survive on their own with their kids. So these would be families that need a place to stay. You provide that it's for them. Children only. And, and of course, we're broadcasting uh, nationally and internationally online and streaming. But we also are broadcasting live on radio in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and we'll rebroadcast tomorrow in Chicago. Um, can you give us some information about any of the events? Um, are they still collecting toys for the Eid? We have done the collection because tomorrow is our distribution. We wanted to give before the Eid. So distribution is done. Our amazing volunteers have packed, you know, wrapped all the beautiful gifts with beautiful wrapping paper. And now we are all set. Our truck has been loaded today. It was a busy day at office today. We uh, are done with, uh, you know, loading the truck. And tomorrow is the day where, you know, our family, we're expecting all those hundreds of families coming with their kids and uh, receiving those toys along with food. Did you, did you uh, reach the goal of, uh, the a thousand toys for a thousand children plus the food for a thousand families. Yes, our communities have been very gracious enough. When there is a need, they step up. 
and uh, alhamdulillah we have been doing this for several years now it's not just this year but every year we do this these drives and um, and you know it's such a, a job that gives me extreme uh, pleasure and happiness to see happy faces not just moms but little kids enjoying this occasion of eid yeah no no little kid or any child should have to go through any kind of stress it's not about religion uh, it is about uh, just ensuring that they have a, a good life and a happy life. But I'm always so impressed by how much Muslims do uh, in this country. And we don't see enough of that. Is it, it must be difficult to get that story out. We don't have a good media in the U.S. for the Arab and Muslim community to promote these stories. Um, and mainstream media, occasionally they do you know, uh, write about it and promote it, but it must be a challenge. It is, and we do do media releases, and off late we have seen a great interest after the, you know, a lot of refugees coming from Afghanistan, there has been a lot of uh, interest in organization as well. So we do have uh, uh, agencies, news agencies coming in covering agents like this, and also we had, um, we worked closely with government officials and state representatives, so we, we do have uh, them coming to our events as well. So All right. In Ramadan, uh, the representative Stoneback, she literally came to our toy distribution and distributed herself to our clients. So we are in touch with uh, our city officials as well. It's a very inspirational story. Um, and by the way, Eid Mubarak to you and your family and everybody at the ICNA, ICNA Relief. Um, any final thoughts uh, that you want to mention? Uh, where can people go if they want to donate, if they want to support you? Um, is there a place online? Yes, we have a uh, website, iknarelief.org slash donate. And I, uh, it's really uh, my appeal to all those who are listening to this program. Please visit our website. You will have lots of information there. All the cities where we work, all our major programs, the need for what the need is in terms of volunteers, because 70% of our work is done by volunteers. And we have volunteers from everywhere, from the mainstream, from a Muslim community, from the masajid, from the local churches. So we have volunteers coming and helping us with these bold programs, I would say. you know, So having those bunch of uh, transitional housings and hundreds of food pantries and the Muslim family services, refugee services, we have health services, mobile clinics, to name a few. So we have so many services all together. So that we try to provide holistic services and uh, aim at the families to strengthen the families so that they can thrive in the society. So anybody out there in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and Chicago, and throughout the U.S. Uh, that are listening to this program, they should go to icnarelief.org, and they should be able to find information about a program near them. Detroit has an office, too. Detroit has food pantry. It has transitional housing. It's a major city, so all major right. cities have food pantries, family services, refugee services, disaster response, all these services are there in all the major cities. But some of the smaller cities might have only food pantries, maybe health clinics. You know? So it depends. But altogether, we are serving a lot more cities in the U.S. All right. My guest, Atya Kazmi, Area Manager with the Islamic Circle of North America, ICNA Relief. Uh, she's based in Chicago, but they do their charitable and very generous work um, across the country. Um, Atya, thank you so much. It's so inspiring to hear about what you do 
to help needy people, not just Muslims. Obviously, that's your main focus, but anybody that is in need. Thank you so much, Atya, for joining us today. And I hope our listeners out there will visit our website, ignorleaf.org. All right, Atya, thank you so much. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take another break, and we have one other guest that's going to talk to us about the Eid celebration and preparations in Saudi Arabia for those people that are traveling there to uh, celebrate the Eid al-Adha. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to be right back right after these messages. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from Grandma's singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. Huayda Araf is running for Congress in the new 10th district, which includes cities where the Arab Chaldean presence is strong. A Christian Arab from Palestine, Huweda is a civil rights attorney and a longtime champion of rights for all people, including Arabs and Chaldeans, here in the United States and around the world. Visit HuwedaForCongress.com to get more information on her candidacy and why she needs your support in the upcoming August primary. Give your vote a voice and help elect a representative of and an advocate for our communities. Vote for Huweda Araf on August 2nd or by absentee ballot. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. I'm really honored to have, again, one of our, uh, our returning guests. She's just phenomenal. She always is so supportive of the radio show, um, very informative. Rowan Redwan, she's a deputy sections head and regional correspondent at Arab News Newspaper. And uh, we're going to talk to her about how Saudi Arabia is pre- preparing for the Eid al-Adha celebrations, which I believe, Redwan, begin July 8th, correct? Or uh, July 9th? It begins in the evening of July 8th and basically after 12 a.m. on the 9th, of course. Can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Eid al-Adha? I offered a little definition, but I think it's more appropriate to come from somebody who is Muslim well, and is in Saudi Arabia. Thank you. Well, uh, of course, Eid al-Adha is celebrated across the Arab world, the Muslim world, and everywhere around the world. Uh, it's a celebration of... Um, Sacrifice. Uh, Atha means utha, which is to sacrifice. And uh, 
It's a celebration just like every other celebration. It means Eid is, is the, the term Eid. It's festivity. To fe- It's a festival. It's a festival. Well, I would like to say it. it's a festival of food because we eat a lot of food on the three days of Eid. But generally, generally, it's a um, it's a it's the second most important or any celebration of the lunar calendar of the Islamic calendar. And I know a big part of that Eid uh, and the Islamic religion is not only uh, yourself and your family, but uh, as I was talking with our two prior guests, um, your friends, your neighbors. And then there's a big focus on those that are in need the impoverished, those impoverished, those that, uh, you know, uh, need support and help. And Islam generally does that. But and during the Eid al-Adha, I know there's a big effort to help those people that are in need. So the idea of, of Eid al-Adha, it's different from the other Eid, Eid al-Fitr, the one that's celebrated after Ramadan. So Adha, as I said, it means sacrifice and Every year, Muslims after dawn, uh, um, excuse me, after dawn, pray the early morning prayers, and after, and of course, during the morning prayers, everyone's celebrating, wearing the nicest of clothes, new clothes. Um, you know, they share sweets and gifts and candy uh, at the mosques or in areas like mass, where in areas where there are mass prayers. Um, and after prayers, Muslims traditionally honor Prophet Abraham um, by devo- um, Abraham's de- uh, devotion by sacrificing sheep, goat, cows, you know, just in, like, a, yeah. Um, and every person has to contribute a portion, uh, of course, depending on the animal, to those who are in need. Um, we give the, we give um to our family, our friends, but of course, the bigger, the biggest chunk goes to the, the those who are most in need, uh, the poor. Um, lately, here in Saudi Arabia, to make it easier on people, because if you can't really sacrifice, if you can't go and slaughter a, a, a an animal, you basically can just use an app. Um, there are apps that uh, help you out. There are markets. Uh, there are people, of course, um, but it's all done, you know, through digital use through your phone it's uh it's as easy as that now i know the king of saudi arabia is described as the custodian of the two holy mosques in saudi arabia how does saudi arabia uh relate to the eid al-adha and what is saudi arabia doing in that context for the eid well there are two fronts to this if you're talking about you know us the king being the custodian of the two holy mosques and us as a people and the generosity that basically coming from the people and the king it goes both hands but there are two fronts to this so you have the local side and you have the international side so every year um different uh, so every year during Eid al-Adha of course there are different charities that are given you know aid and you know whether in the turn in in you know, food um, or produce or even sacrifice, sacrificial animals. That's from one side. And of course, here, um, charities, there are the charities are funded. A lot of these charities, of course, are funded by the government and funded also by the people. They contribute very much to to these charities, whether by giving food and produce, clothes. Of course, these clothes are not, you know, they're not bad. They're not t- torn apart or something. They're, they're quite they're, you know, just maybe one quite once or twice or something. Um, and that's just the power of giving here. You know, you are surrounded by this. So it's part of nature. It's just part, it's, a, it's just second nature to a lot of the people here as a community. Um, Saudis um, and I'm sure a lot of different, you know, other communities, Muslim and otherwise, 
the power of giving, giving is just something that's very much felt here. And I know that, uh, and again, I'm not Muslim, I'm Christian, but as I was telling my other guests, I'm, I feel Muslim by culture because you grow up in a Muslim community and you really tend to admire the many things that they do. The stereotype is such a small segment and exists in every religion and every community, but the majority are such good people. They do so much. Um, and my understanding is that, you know, in that uh, after Ramadan, um, there was a period where people will go on a hajj. And isn't the Eid al-Adha, I believe, the end of the hajj uh, period? And what is the hajj? So so basically, okay, let me explain. Between the month of Ramadan and hajj, there, there's a two-month gap. Usually, usually, or how it was once, uh, and we're talking maybe over 50, 60 years ago, maybe even less than that actually uh so pilgrims would come to perform umrah which is the the smaller ritual all right you need you can do this once a year once once in your lifetime you can do a different time you can several times in your lifetime it's basically just the just circling around the kaaba which is the tawaf and then doing the and then performing the act of um sa'i which is going back and forth the the safa and marwa hills or or mountains um that's al-umrah and then two months of course the gap and then hajj which actually starts tomorrow and it's called and it's on the eighth day of the last month of the islamic calendar which is dhul hijjah it's it's named after the hajj uh ritual actually um the thing is um so um so it's four or five days i can't even say 11 12 four or five days yeah so basically so pilgrims would come and uh would come to mecca wearing the ihram and it's not just the two cloths that you see it's not just that it's actually just like your innate like an innate feeling that you just want to perform this 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 act it's a very difficult one it's um it's long it's um i wouldn't say um too difficult but it is it's hot. You're, it you're a- always thirsty. You're, you're you're in the sun. You're you're with masses of people, but all you can think about is just how to perform the best that you can. You know, in supplications, in prayer. So tomorrow is the first day, which is called Yom Terwiyah. Uh, Yom Terwiyah means uh, to replenish oneself with water and basically drink water and rest as much as you can, of course. And then the, the on Friday, which is a very very unique day because it's it's a Friday, which is a holy day here. In, uh, for Muslims, and it's a Arafah day, and according to the Prophet Muhammad, the Hajj is Arafah. Uh, of course, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, Arafah is where the million, mil- the millions of pilgrims actually head to Mount Arafat. They stand from dawn or after dawn until sundown, um, again in prayer and supplications, and then they head to Muzdalifah, a smaller, an area near Mount Arafat, where they stay, uh, and of course they pray the evening prayers. They collect pebbles, small pebbles, this much. This 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 is how big it is. I mean, it's not much. Uh, between forty-nine to seventy-nine to seventy pebbles, and then after midnight or or after dawn, they head back to Mina, an area near Mecca, which is about five to seven miles away from the Grand Mosque and Mecca itself. Wow. It's, it's it's hidden in a valley. It's very very nearby, but um, the whole area is like twenty square square kilometers. And Ray, it's it's an area. It's so small. You can see everything from just one hilltop, and you can see everything from the Jamarat bridges to the tents and the housing units for the pilgrims. Um, 
And after they they break after they break their uh, the way to break their hajj is to go and throw the stone pebbles and then do the sacrifice. And of course, you cut your hair or you shave as a man. Uh, women also cut their hairs, and that's it. That's the last of the stage uh, of the hajj stages. That's when you commemorate your pilgrimage. Eid is on Saturday, so that's when you find the Muslims and pilgrims in Mena. Um, you know, celebrating with mass uh, uh, breakfast gatherings or luncheons. Uh, of course, each um, each tent or each group or, um, you know, they celebrate in their own way. And it's it's nice to see, you know, it's a nice, I've, I've performed Hajj, so it's nice to um, be involved in such a community. You know, you meet people from all over the world. Some of actually, I still talk to until this day. And I've done this nearly 20 years ago. I performed my first Hajj and my only Hajj 20 years ago. And um, I still speak to some of these people today. Um, so it's a, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of, you know, people, family, friends, uh, new friends, old friends. It's, it's, it's lovely. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, but my assumption is that uh, Saudi Arabia plays a big role in accommodating all these. I mean, how many uh, visitors would you say that uh, go there? How many actually go arrive there? Uh, for the Hajj and celebrate the Eid al-Adha in Saudi Arabia? So this year, because it's after two years of a hiatus, we are welcoming... Because of COVID. Million, because of COVID, exactly. We are welcoming a million pilgrims. And this is a quite low number. I mean, considerably low. Uh, the usual number is between 2.5 to 3.2 million uh, pilgrims. And that's not to say, of course, the families that are arriving to Saudi Arabia to celebrate with their families here and who are residing in the kingdom. And many of them have just stayed here for years and years at the end. That's a lot of people. And Saudi Arabia really is accommodating, aren't they, for these visitors? Very much so. They probably have to uh, provide a place for them to stay, uh, food. Um, water and and all that that's phenomenal exactly any, exactly. any final thoughts for one about what uh, maybe not just muslims but americans non-muslims should know about this well it's i guess it's just a celebration of life of, of life it's humanity you know you are you you stand in such a place you know it's a very holy city it's a very holy place but it's not even about that it's about you know how Everyone's standing in unison. You know, you have different colors of people, different races, different backgrounds, different cultures, different societies and different languages. But everyone's there. Everyone's just celebrating one thing. They only want one thing in life. You know, they're just there to pray and they're just there for to ask for forgiveness and to ask for the blessings of the Almighty in such a beautiful location and such a different, very difficult, difficult time for everyone. You know, the world, as we know, is, is just, you know, in chaos. But I think one thing I should say is that such a festival is a festival of unity, love, and humility and humanity. All right. Rowan, uh, Redwan, uh, Deputy Sections Head and Regional Correspondent at Arab News. Rowan, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank our other guests, Atya Kazmi, Area Manager with the Islamic Circle of North America, ICNA Relief, and Bashir Mohammed of the Pew Research Center, um, Eid Mubarak, Rowan, for I hope you have a great holiday. Um, and I look forward, I work with you at Arab News, and I'm proud to work with you. You're a great person to work with. I look forward to uh, meeting you soon one day in person. But thank you so much for joining us on this program today. Thank you for having me. And, and I have hope a good everybody, one too. Thank you. And everybody join us next Wednesday when we have another discussion 
with some guests uh, about Biden's visit to the Middle East. You guys have a great day. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye, everybody.